Welcome to another episode of The Bourbon Hunters. Today, Tyler and Dude sit down with the head distiller of its iconic distillery, Brandon Collins. There are a couple of spots that suffered from network hiccups during the interview, but that can happen due to the nature of being remote. At any rate, this was a really fun conversation. Brandon drops a ton of information on the history and products of Taconic, so grab a pour of your favorite bourbon, sit back, kick up your feet, and enjoy. Welcome to the Bourbon Hunters. I'm Dude Pool, and, and I'm Tyler Shaper. And today we have a special treat. We've got the uh, head distiller from Taconic, and I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. I am Brandon Collins with Taconic Distillery. All right. So uh, speaking of which, um, we usually like to get into the bourbon and uh, drink a little bit of it. But since this is a little uh, different than normal, um, I wanted to kind of give you a, an opportunity to. Just talk about Taconic, and uh, I know I already sent you a couple questions just so you'd be ready for that, but uh, just give us a little bit of a history of Taconic, and I think, didn't it have a, a name previous to Taconic? What was it, uh, like Millwood or something like that? Millbrook, yeah. Millbrook, that's what it was. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so we started out as a Millbrook Distillery in 2013, um, so we had to change the name, actually, because um, when you do uh, the registration with a um, the trademark commission, uh, they consider alcohol all as one, uh, category. So there's actually a winery that's called Millbrook winery. That's why we ended up having to change the conic. <laughs> so luckily that was pretty quick that we realized that and got it changed real quick and didn't affect us too bad. Uh, we Not only had about like 50 barrels at that time. Yeah. And did you already do a release under that name before? Uh... Yeah, they did. Okay. Okay. Now, how long have you been with the uh, the company? Uh, a little over a year and a half now. Year and a half. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so you're there post uh, change and post the uh, beginning of the of the company. So, go ahead and I guess talk us through, uh, you know, some of the history there at the Conic. Yeah. So, uh, Paul Coglin, he's our owner. He actually started the company with his wife and a few other minor owners. Um, so it started out in Paul's barn at his house. So he has a log cabin with a barn there and we have 115 acres on site uh started out just buying some mgp barrels to see like hey is this going to be something worthwhile doing like he so he was uh, uh kind of like a um, investment manager in wall street so he would okay. buy deprived businesses and kind of flip them uh so he's always looking for like the next thing and he actually retired before he started to and sat around for a couple of years got bored <laughs> so got into the liquor industry <laughs> i think that um, seems to be a pretty uh, common theme from some of these craft distilleries like someone who's retired yeah. and and just kind of got bored and decided to do something else yeah so uh like i said where it started in the barn uh eventually we built the the building that we have now in 2014 so we've had that for a little bit now um and it's been rocking and rolling since. So right now we have about 1,400 barrels in storage. Mm. We're producing about four barrels a day. Wow. So ever since I got on, we've pretty much doubled 
the amount of barrels we have in storage. Nice. Uh, just because Paul is kind of like running it on his own uh, <laughs> every once in a while when he had some time. And now he brought me in just to increase production and run it full board. So. Do you guys find that it's difficult or was it kind of like a, a difficult process to get some of the materials you needed to get going, whether it was the, the still, whether it was the barrels? No. So luckily, um, we have a still from Vendome. So he had some time to get that all going uh, before I got there and had that all ready to go. And then we already had some good connections with uh, Independence Dave for the barrels. So we had some, he had some issues about five years ago getting some barrels, but he actually met one of the big sales guys for them and sent him a bottle. And we have these little uh, gun cases that are set out to where we can set a bottle and a, a pint or a little uh, rocks glass with it and a little Glen Cairn. Paul sent him that. And ever since then, we've never had an issue getting barrels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, there's nothing yeah. more bourbon, in my opinion, than like starting off in a, like a log cabin yeah. type of scenario. That, that just kind of yeah. goes back to the And the a little beginnings. bit of an offshoot question of that right now with COVID. Have you noticed a price increase with the barrels with the price increase of wood? No, uh, everything's been pretty steady for us. Even our grain and everything's been steady. Because like we're a New York farm distillery, mm -hmm. so we have to use at least seventy five percent local New York ingredients. That's we really use a hundred percent. And I work with all the farmers to plan out how much grain we're going to use on a yearly basis. So I pretty much tell them a year ahead of time how much grain I'm going to use. So, are so you they've a, already had that already grown for us and oh, set wow. a price for us and nice. everything. Mm. So are you guys then a, a pure farm to bottle type uh, distillery then? It sounds like I thought you said 100%, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. we. So we don't grow all the stuff on site, but we I, I work with our farmers to grow everything for us. And everything's New but York. we do grow some corn on site that we use. Oh, that's cool. And what, uh, so I guess for me, I, I, you know, I, I sent you some of those questions, but at the same time, how hard was it for the company to switch from MGP to, you know, distilling your own, you know, once you've kind of established a flavor profile going through a sourced bourbon or a sourced, a sourced liquor, I should say, and then having to try to match that, is that what you tried to do? Or did you try to come up with your own flavor profile after switching? Yeah. So Paul tried to basically match, um, what we had and it's going to be a little different no matter how good you are at sure, it. Yeah. Yeast and everything that, uh, use and where we age it at it's going to be different compared to how mgp is aged so what we did is he kind of blended off mgp into our product that was a two-year transition oh, doing that yeah um and now we've been on our products for about three years now and we actually just hit the four-year mark in may this year and actually may next year we'll have we're setting a few barrels back to have a five-year release for that oh wow nice so yeah, I, I saw in your uh, response on one of my posts about you know setting some barrels back, and uh, hopefully you guys yeah. will have some good uh, surprises for people. So, yeah. uh, what kind of uh, still do you guys use? Is it a pot still, or do you use a continuous type still? Or yeah, so we have a twelve-inch Vendome uh, continuous column with a pot doubler. Okay, is our secondary rectifying still. So, so we'd still up to about one hundred and fifty-five proof, and then proof it back down to one hundred and twenty-five when it goes in the barrel. Nice. And then what do you notice in the barrel? I, I've seen some, you know, places where they put it in the barrel and then, you know, after the angel share, it ends up being a little bit uh, higher proof or lower proof, depending on the seasons and different things like that. 
so it, it's more um, age based. So initially for your first three years, it actually dips down or well, initially it just dips down real hard. So if you put in at 125, you pulled out in about a year, you'd be around 120 proof mm-hmm. and then it continuously comes back up. So after about the four year mark is where we're starting to get back to our original proof. Oh, wow. And then from here on out, it's only going to go up. Nice. So, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the different, uh, I guess, uh, uh, spirits or products that you have. I know the one that we have here today, this was actually a, a club pick. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, bourbon enthusiast and, uh, yeah. if you were involved at all in that pick, but, um, I think this one is from the Duchess private reserve, right? So, um, and let, let's talk about, I guess, let's start with that one and go through some of the, your other ones with your, you know, this one here specifically is uh, Barrel Proof 122. So I'm sure you've, you maybe uh, brought it down a little bit just for uh, taste, but, uh, but I'll let you talk about that, I guess. Yeah, so we have uh, basically two different main recipes. We have our bourbon recipe, which goes into the bourbon enthusiast pick and our Duchess Private Reserve and our uh, barrel strength bourbon. And then we have our rye whiskey recipe. That goes into our uh, barrel strength rye and our founder's rye. Um, we also do a gin that we have on a barrel aged gin. But the bourbon enthusiast pick, I think it came out at 123 and a half, but we'd only had the 122 registered within New York State at that point. So it was more a registration uh, thing that we had to do. So we proofed it down about a point and a half. Yeah, on that one. So it wasn't too bad coming down. So it's pretty much just like you would get it out of the barrel. Well, I guess interesting. Yeah. And while we're talking about it, let's go ahead and, and I know you don't have any of this specifically, I'm assuming, but, uh, let's go ahead and pour you a little. Oh, you do. Okay. Nice. (laughs) Even better. Yeah. We, we saved a bottle back at, uh, the distillery. So we call that a, we usually save a bottle or two from (laughs) each pick. I would do the same (laughs) spoils of, uh, of the job, I guess. So, So let's, uh, I mean, you have this hit there as well. So uh, I guess let's, uh, let's talk about this a little bit and I'll let you kind of uh, introduce it on your side from, you know, what, uh, you know, what you would, uh, I guess, nosing and all that. So uh, generally we on the show, we'll just nose it. We'll uh, talk about it a little bit. We'll do the palette and the finish. And then on our show, we talk about whether we call it a, uh, a pass or a store or a shelf, I'm sorry, or a uh, hunt. Uh, we're the bourbon hunter, so. Um, but I'll let you go ahead and start. What do you What do you get on the nose from this one? Uh, so our bourbon mash bill is like a high rye mash bill, so you'll get some of that spice uh, just from that uh, because we're sitting at a seventy percent corn, twenty five percent rye, five percent malted barley. So you get some of that up front. Um, you should get a little nice nose of oak on it, um, where we're getting around that four year. It shouldn't be too overpowering, but you'll get it in there a little bit. Uh, we usually get vanilla, um, caramel in it and where we'd still have that higher proof, (laughs) uh, where we'd still have that higher proof, um, it helps it, uh, come out a little better at that four year age than what it would be if we distilled at a lower proof. So it doesn't taste too young on the palate. Gotcha. Now, how do you feel that your nose or, and palate are, you know, refined in the last year and a half or however long you've been doing it specifically for do you feel uh, that you so, have a good grasp of it or are you you know yeah. still trying to figure it out yourself in a way yeah so when i i used to work at buffalo trace before it's okay 
I was distillery supervisor there, and actually, I was on the sensory panel there. Oh, we that's had to go inc- through a lot of. Do you know testing. Uh, what's what was his name? Logan Haynes, right? Logan. Logan been- Haynes, wasn't it? Logan Haynes. <sighs> he's he's on the sensory panel now, but he may have been after okay. you left because yeah, it, said I, it took him a long time. I left so. about three years ago. Okay, it might have been. We don't know him, but he did our. But tour that's there. an incredible tasting process. So yeah. Yeah. Cheers to that. Yeah, we'll we'll let you talk about that a little bit too. But uh, <laughs> for me on this nose, I I agree. Vanilla and caramel, I get immediately. But those are the two that always jump out at me. Yeah. Um, Tyler will tell you anytime there's vanilla and caramel, I, I immediately fall in love with the nose, and I think that's what grabbed me immediately from this one. Um, yeah, well, a ahead. lot of that's from your barrel. So depending yeah. on how you char it, uh, that's why you get most of those flavors right off the bat. That's right. Most. So what, speaking of chars, what do you guys use typically, or do you use different chars, or is it always the same for uh, each product? It's always the same. Okay. So we have a char three from Independent Stave, and it's the Cooper Select barrel. So they air dry the staves for at least <laughs> two months before it uh, gets turned into a barrel. You know, that's um, it's interesting that you, you guys use a three, and I'm, I'm interested to try this because I feel that, we've talked about this before, so many use a two, and I'm like, well... I haven't I haven't tasted anything that I know of that I you know have come across that's a three. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean we don't go looking at what sure. the char is for everything we taste, but sure. when we do see it, it's almost always a two. It seems to be a two. It seems like so. So that's interesting. So, um, but yeah, I, I definitely get a big hint of vanilla and, and caramel on this. Uh, what do you get, Tim? Same. <laughs> man, man I just well the, w- once I jump into tasting it, that all goes right out the window. <laughs> right? Did you already take a drink? Yeah. <laughs> he never waits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so awesome. Let's let's go ahead and dive into this, and then I do want to actually get into uh, you know what brought you to Taconic, what got you into distilling, and I think you kind of touched on a little bit of that. But I also knowing that you went to Buffalo uh, Trace and were on the sensory panel. I'd I'd like to hear if that's a consistent story with however many brands. What what is it? Thirty twenty two. I thought it was. 22? I don't know. They have a ton of brands, right? You, you're supposed to be able to pick yeah. them out blind. That's just crazy. Yeah. So it's it's not just the whiskeys that they make you do. They have uh, uh, flavored vodkas and everything that mm-hmm. they used to bottle there when I was there. Yeah. So they would blind you, and what they do is give you a, a little uh, triangle test, is what they called it. So two were the same. One was different. And you had to pick out the one that's different. And okay. some of them could be like dead on. Like most people wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. But if you couldn't pick that out a certain percentage, then you couldn't be on the tasting panel. Oh, wow. And then if, if when they were trying to fill like a new standard, they would have everybody do the triangle test. And if all the tasters couldn't decipher the difference, then they'd say, all right, this is the new standard that we can use from here on out. Nice. That's pretty neat. So uh, I guess before we jump into the palate, because I'm going to enjoy a little bit more of this and have it have it go over you know the tongue a little bit more, but you know let's talk about your history leading to Taconic. I guess I mean I don't know if Buffalo Trace was first, but but yeah, you know what got you into distilling, and then what got you Buffalo Trace then Taconic. So I have a degree in chemical engineering, is how most of us <laughs> started out as. Uh, so I had a lot of knowledge of distillation. I actually got to do some fermentation classes, uh, some beer brewing classes in college that all counted towards that. Where'd you go? Uh, Ohio state. Oh, oh I right. grew up. Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, in between Cincinnati and Dayton and Carlisle. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I uh, live in Hilliard, Ohio. I, I, 
Yeah. I went to Ohio State. He went to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, and he's a Michigan State fan, as you can see by his ugly sweatshirt. (laughs) (laughs) So go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, So from there, I started out in the paper industry just because at the time I graduated, jobs were a little tough, kind of like how it is now. Uh, So you just kind of took whatever job you could get. Sure. And luckily, I had worked in paper mill that I knew a lot of people back home. Uh, after about a year working there, I decided I wanted to leave Ohio. I went down to Lexington, Kentucky and worked at Jeff peanut butter for three years. Oh, wow. And then after that, I got, uh, into the, uh, liquor industry where I finally got into Buffalo trace as a distillery supervisor and was there for four years. I worked right underneath Harlan there. And after about four years, me and my wife, uh, we visited New York. Uh, about four years ago now, um, wanted to move up to New York City. So uh, it took about a year to find a job up here. And so I was actually at a distillery in between uh, Taconic and Buffalo Trace, but it uh, didn't really work out to where I, I didn't agree where the direction that distillery was going. And Paul luckily had an opening and had the exact still set up that I uh, wanted to run. I actually got to be help design some of that and still set up when I was at Buffalo Trace with Vendome. So it's kind of nice to be able to go run the still to help yeah, somewhat design. Up. Yeah, with that's kind of cool. Yeah. So. so you've been there, what did you say, a year and a half now at Taconic? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, I can't believe some of those stills are like on two-year waiting lists for them. Yeah. Just, it's, it's incredible. I was like, oh, you know, that'd be kind of cool to have like a little tiny, tiny one in the house, make your own little um individual small barrels and they're like yeah yeah it's a completely two, legal. yeah completely completely legal, legal. Um, yeah. <laughs> well one of the things that i thought was interesting and i don't you can talk to this if you know but uh some of the things i've heard on other podcasts like the bourbon road and stuff is that uh or maybe it's dad's drinking bourbon that, that i heard it but they basically said um that some of these places can't get their their dsp until they have a still and like like you said, sometimes it's actually a, a year or two waiting list for that. Plus, yeah. it's like a huge investment because they're not cheap. And so then you have to go through that process and then hope to get your uh, DSP. I, I don't know if you've had to experience any of that. Yeah. Or- yeah. So in order to get your DSP, you actually have to have your still set up on site. Um, then after that, they can send through your DSP. You can apply for it beforehand and have all that ready to go. And then just that's just ready crazy, when you, though, once like- you get the still. But. You go through all of that and not get your DSP? Like, I mean, it, how often does that happen, I wonder? Is that just a test I, to see how serious you are? or, or Yeah, I don't. I, I haven't heard of anybody not getting their DSP after they get the still. Um, it's more just you run into financial issues before you can actually get right. up and running before exactly. anything That's, else of not getting actual, the actual license. So now do you, you don't need a DSP to source though, right? So if you source from MGP in the meantime, while you're doing that, is that a way to, it's a, it's a different license that you need, but yeah, you'd still have to have a certain license. Um, so it's a non-distilling, uh, producer license. Mm -hmm. So you're basically pulling in, um, spirit. So you still have to do a transfer and bond is what they call it. When MGP sends you barrels, that way you can transfer those barrels in and actually bottle it and resell it. Sure. Okay, cool. So that's interesting. Um, 
So that's where you're at now. So uh, one of the questions I, and I, again, I don't know if uh, you're able to answer any of this, but do you guys have any projects or upcoming releases or, you know, I see on here this, you didn't really mention this one, but the double barrel maple bourbon whiskey. Like, do you guys have anything like that coming out or any, any big, you know, uh, releases coming? Yeah. So the double barrel maple, um, we do that once a year and it'll be coming up actually next month. Mm -hmm. Um, so that one is our bourbon base and we finish it six more months in a maple syrup barrel. So we send out some of our maple or bourbon barrels out to a maple syrup company. They age maple syrup and it, send them back and we do another six more months with that bourbon as a secondary finish. Um, so then we are also to like a Knob Creek maple or a smoke maple, or is that I, a little more subtle? Or? It's a lot more subtle. So okay. we're just getting what's coated on the inside of the barrel versus a Knob Creek is usually a whole bunch of sugar and fake flavorings in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so okay. we're doing, it's a little more natural flavor. So it still tastes more like a bourbon would, um, but you're just getting a hint of the maple on it. So it's more kind of like a after dinner kind of drink or sure. dessert drink. Well, that's good to hear from me. You, the, the smoked maple from Knob Creek. I love Knob Creek, but their smoked maple it almost makes me sick because, like, like some like I think it is more like a synthetic taste. But that's good to hear. Have you guys purchased any of the barrels of maple syrup, syrup yourself? Whether you know you're selling them at the you know the distillery or you gift them, you know anything like that? Yeah, so every barrel that we send out to them, we get the maple syrup back from that producer and we resell the maple syrup. So we can sell that on our website and ship throughout the United States. Uh, so it comes in a little 375 bottle. You guys got there, just a little bit smaller. So we sell probably about 50 cases a month of that. We're going to need some of that. We're yeah, going to need. I, I love maple syrup and I've yeah. never had a bourbon maple syrup that's like that, but everyone talks about it and they say, it's I've just had ridiculous. one from Woodenville and it was really, yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. So everyone who has that stuff, they, they love it. Yeah. I've, I've just never had any. I've never seen it available. Not that I've really looked either, but yeah. Um, I mean, it's a little expensive to have all the time. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> to be pouring over every Saturday yeah. morning, but so let's talk about the palate here now that we've had a chance to have a few more drinks here. So I'll let you start this time. What do you? So have? I think it, I'm not a big rye fan um, in general. So for this to have the the higher rye mash bill and the taste on it, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, it is complex, but also just super well balanced. It doesn't slap you in the face. I mean, even at 122 proof, like it goes down amazing well i mean i've had this since last sunday and i've already <laughs> it's you know it's a third at least probably a little more than a third empty when you combine the rye and the proof together it's such an easy drink i yeah it surprised me how much and and this so palette from me i get a ton of caramel on the on the palate so like what i got on the nose follows through on the palate but the vanilla takes a little bit of a backseat to me on the uh on the palate i get a ton of the the caramel and then i get a little bit of oak yeah and and what you're right though like the for the 122 proof and being a rye based you know bourbon i don't get a ridiculously strong finish mm -hmm. it's it's just right it finishes um, nice it's it's a long it's a long finish, but it's not um, it's not overwhelming and it doesn't yeah, sit in my chest for exactly for like yep. ten minutes afterwards. I, I like it a lot. It's a good finish. 
So yeah, go ahead. What, what's your take? And I know what's you're the professional biased, state? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get pretty much the same notes uh, as you guys. Uh, probably only thing is like some butterscotch in there. Um, but like I said, where we distill at that higher proof like that, it kind of um, eliminates some of the other notes that you would pick up, um, which also makes it not so harsh on that rye characteristic plus yeah. where we're getting in that four and we're working on getting towards that five year now um that's going to help tone down that rye a lot in that in that flavor profile so rye usually punches or packs its punch in the first two to three years and starts to mellow out over time sure yeah i, I definitely agree with that anything that's very youthful I can I can pick up the rye a little bit more, and the spice I get from it isn't necessarily the proof. It's it's all in the rye. I I that's I like that. Um, so outside of I mean, well, let's talk about this. I guess what's your favorite in the uh, in the Taconic line? What do you like to go to on a nightly basis or a, whenever you feel like picking up a Taconic? I guess. So luckily, where I get to basically take whatever I want. Sure. Um, I get the the Mizanara oak finish uh, bourbon that we have. So we do that release twice a year and it's really limited. We basically make a hundred cases or less of that oh, twice wow. a year. And it's always sold out as soon as we bottle it pretty much. So it goes out to all of our distributors and they already have it sold out to stores and everything. Do you do a release at your distillery at all? Like it, it, do you have a gift yeah. shop or anything? So we, yeah. We hold back about five cases to, sell at our distillery uh-huh. so we do that at 107 proof on that one okay that's a seems to be a pretty good you know just a little above that 100 and i i like that that proof range right in there i mean this 122 i like it too but generally you would it's not, never know that it's 122 i wouldn't guess that it was yeah. unless i saw it on the label that's for sure yeah. so okay that's taconic but what uh you you said you've had some time at buffalo trace if you weren't drinking a taconic bourbon what would you drink? Uh, so now I drink mainly more craft bourbon. So I try to see like our competition that's out there. So sure. I know I'm not going to be able to compete with the big distilleries in Kentucky because they got 10, 12, 15 year old bourbon sitting in barrels just waiting. Right. Um, you so guys, I mean, you can get I know there. <laughs> we got a long way before we're going to get to the level that they're at. Uh, so I try to see basically like, where wilderness trail is like a new riff um people like them or woodenville uh just know what our competition is on more of the craft scale and they're up in that same range so they're in that four to five year range kind of like where we are right now yeah so that's what i like to try to drink and try different things on that scale so i know what's out there and what people are drinking what people like so what would you say your first experience with bourbon was i mean if you went to ohio state who knows maybe jim beam or jack daniels or whatever but <laughs> but what what got you interested in bourbon uh so it was more once i lived in kentucky that i got into bourbon it's kind of hard to avoid I drank it, there, it right? in college but it like you said is more jim beam we had some benchmark old forester <laughs> some of those lower shelf stuff yeah um but once i got into kentucky and i knew i wanted to get into the alcohol industry uh, I started just tasting around different bourbons. And I actually have to say I never had Buffalo Trace until after I started working there. <laughs> That's <So>. funny. <laughs> That's, That's really funny. funny. Yeah. 
And when I first started working there, we used to be able to find Weller on the shelves pretty easily. And I used to buy that up and Eagle Rare used to chill on the shelf. And then by the time I left there, like you couldn't find Weller unless you knew the store owner. Well, ours, I I just picked up some Weller today, actually. Like here in Hilliard in Columbus, um, we get it every week. Yeah. But it's gone that same day. So like if you know the release day at the the store, you can pick it up. It's not quite as quick though like it will no. sit on the shelf yeah i went at 10 o'clock they opened at nine there was still a half a case of i was antique. so but yeah this last weekend brendan i was up in michigan and in michigan you can generally find quite a bit more but they're all secondary prices yeah. so i mean once once the guy knew i was from ohio he's like oh you get all the weller you want down there and he's got a he's got a, a reserve sitting on the shelf for eighty dollars and a that's a twenty five dollar bottle. Yeah, in an antique, yeah. <laughs> uh, in an antique for I think a hundred and forty five. I, I was like, that is just insane. Well, and that was one of my biggest disappointments when Antique moved their price up to their MSRP up to fifty something. Yeah, after being like a thirty dollar bourbon, and they they took yeah. got rid of the screw cap, went to a cork, and then changed the bottle a little, and now it's fifty dollars. Like, yeah, damn it. Yeah. That was a that was a little bit of a shame on that one. Do you think but, a lot of that has to do in general in the industry with just um, product availability, or is it just becoming something that people are drinking and distillers know they can take advantage on? You know, the 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 profit. <laughs> You're asking a distiller if oh. distillers are taking advantage. <laughs> so, I mean, when when we sold stuff at Sazerac. We sold everything at a retail price. So we had a recommended retail price. We would call the distributors that they needed to sell it to, the liquor stores and the liquor stores, what they could sell it on the shelf for. Um, but once it leaves your hands, you can't, you don't yeah. really have any control over it. And the problem is, is you have a lot of people that started getting into bourbon. A lot of it was allocation. Like, so every product that Sazerac almost makes is allocated. So a liquor store knows they might only get this once a year. So it's like, well, I'm going to take it and jack it up as high as I can because that's the only way I'm going to make money off this. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be able to have a designated shelf space where I'm continually going through the product and they can make margin over the year. Yeah. So they're just taking that one shot and that's it. And I know, um, you know, I was speaking to a store owner up in Michigan and, and he was telling me that um, you know, his relationship with some of the other or his distributor, he's got to put all this nonsense out, you know, to be able to get those bottles. So if he wants any Buffalo Trace antique collection or any of the, the Pappy family, um, like when he, he will get some of those bottles and he knows he's got a customer or two that will pay a thousand, twelve hundred dollars for them. But in order to get those bottles, he has to put all these trinkets out that don't sell. So yeah. essentially he's got shelf space that's just wasted in order to get these bottles so that he can make money back on it, you know? Yeah. So I, I didn't know that. And, yeah. you know, maybe that just happens in, in markets that aren't are uh state liquor run. Um, but it was surprising for sure. Yeah. It, it that all depends on each state. So like up here in New York, it's kind of about the same process. Uh, the distributor that we're actually with is the same distributor Sazerac uses. Oh, really? And so for you to qualify to be able to get Pappy or Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, 
you have to buy so many whiskeys from our distributor, which okay. are luckily our whiskey qualifies as one of those <laughs> uh, that keeps them going up the list. So nice. they take the top amount of lists and they say, all right, the top five, you get what you want. Then five to 10, you might get what you want. 10 to 15, uh, you, you might get lucky. So was it, you got thousand plus accounts competing for oh, maybe yeah. 30 bottles. <laughs> Jesus. So. Um, now was it difficult for you guys to find the distributor that you wanted or did you I, maybe have that relationship before? So luckily in New York, since the good thing about being a farm distillery is you can self-distribute. So we was able to self-distribute, build up the business on our own. And then uh, Paul was actually with another distributor in between uh, Empire and doing self-distribution and actually built up enough of a business that Empire came to Paul and asked, hey, we'd love to bring in your business and help you grow it some more. So luckily he had some like negotiation to be able to go into that uh, which is really rare for a craft distillery when you're going up with one of the bigger distributors like that. So, so how many states are you guys available in now? We're in 16 right now. So we just got into Kentucky and Illinois in the last two months. So those are two newest states that we're in. So are so you pretty much? Are you up in and Ohio? Down the East Coast? No. Okay. So Ohio's a state controlled yeah liquor. they are yeah um so it's just really hard to crack into that so you, your best bet is being able to show how you sell around the state and then if ohio deems you as a worthy uh, big God, enough seller then they'll state. bring it in well yeah. i mean it's a it's a it's a curse and it's a i mean it's good and bad because you've got the fact that like what you just said weller in michigan is an 80 dollar bottle yeah here it's 25 but now the problem with that is is it is it readily available no but if you know when the release days are and things like that, you, Weller is there every week. Yeah, I mean, every week I can walk in if I know within an hour. You know the big the big surge of if they have Blanton's or Eagle Rare, E. H. Taylor, or whatever that day, whatever that whenever that surge is gone, there's always some Weller left over, and you're getting it at MSRP. So I mean, that's the beauty of Ohio. But the pain point, like he's saying, is is it is a control state, so you're at the mercy of of what they mm. buy. And they can't really just buy whatever they want. I mean, the, the different retailers can't buy whatever they want. They're they're kind of at the mercy of the state. So, yeah, pain in the butt, but good on the pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, uh, so plans. I mean, you talk about uh, what was the what was the the one that you said was a twice a year release. The Miznar. And so, what are the two times a year that that's released? So it's in November and May. November and May. Okay, so November's coming up. So uh, do you guys have people like camp out, or is it just kind of word of mouth? Or not, not yet. We haven't had anybody camp out, so we might have to. We're, we're hoping <laughs> to get to that. We're, we're hoping to get to that level eventually. Okay, uh, we'll go. We'll go set up uh, like four tents out front for you guys for a nice <laughs> photo op, and then campers this year. <laughs> yeah. So and then when do you guys do your uh, your maple bourbon? You said that's once a year. That one's always in September. We us- so usually we have a big party at the distillery for that one. Um, but with COVID right now, sure, uh, we're probably going to have to cancel that and maybe shift on how we do that. Maybe something virtual or something is little, what we can figure out. Little pivot. Um, yeah, but usually what we do is we have a food truck, live band, um, 
and this year we's actually going to have some cool little games for kids and everything and nice. that all got blown out so yeah so i mean let's talk about covid what how has that affected you i know you said it hasn't affected your supply line but how's it yeah. affected you as a business uh so we're the way we're set up um we couldn't ever get into the the hand sanitizer production because we can't distill up to the proof that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So we just kept making whiskey. And for us, since it's all a waiting game, there's no sense of just stopping and yeah, uh, start restarting again three months later or something because we're four years, five years down the road before we see anything hit the shelves. Sure. Um, so for us, it didn't really hit us too bad. And our tasting room was only open once a week. So we lost that for three months. So we could see how that hurt us a little bit, but luckily we got into, um, with a couple of the farm breweries within the state was able to do some barrel selects with them that they sold through their tasting rooms mm. and they would sell those out within a day. So wow. that made up a little bit for what you couldn't do on site. Yeah. Okay. So your tasting and rooms, then, are those, are those, uh, uh, like where you have barrel pickers come in or is that like part of your tour where you take them in at the so, end of the tour? So with us being a farm distillery, once again, New York uh, kind of made it nice as uh, our tasting room. We can basically uh, serve cocktails as long as it's made with our products mm -hmm. or any other New York uh, state farm ingredients. So we can sell New York state farm wine or beer in there also. So it's kind of more like a, like a, a low key bar, bar kind of yeah. more than um, an actual tasting room like you would see in Kentucky where you're just part of the tour and taking a sample and then leaving. Sure. Uh, you can do some sampling there too, but we also have the cocktails with it. Kind of sounds like almost like the Angel's Envy or the Wild Turkey bars that mm -hmm. they uh, have in their get or their uh, gift shops now. Well, that's nice. So uh, go ahead. Kind of, uh, if you don't mind, go over a layout of your 115 acres. You guys, you know, the rick yeah. houses you guys have. Um, yeah. Take us on a little virtual tour of that. Yeah, how like how tall are the rick houses? How many barrels do they hold? How many rick houses do you have? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, our main building is a seventy five hundred square foot area, and then we also have um, four hundred barrels stored inside that area. Also, uh, the rest of it is stored. We have shipping containers. Okay, we have. 12 of those uh, we can fit about 60 of them in each one um, and we keep getting a few more every once in a while whenever we can fit them uh, and then the other rick house that we just built last november is a 2200 barrel rick house and we have about 400 barrels in there right now and how, how many floors are they did you say uh, it's just a one floor so it's a one floor it's a six uh six rung high so house. Do you do one floor just to kind of uh, control more of the the variation of the of the temperature from top to bottom type of thing, or is that a? Nah, it's just just more of where we're a lot smaller, so we just don't really need a multi floor rickhouse. Sure, I, I know a lot and of those places, like Buffalo Trace, for example, where you came from. They have you know the yeah. top floor and then the bottom floor is the longer aging yeah. stuff a lot of times, and like Maker's Mark will rotate their stuff so it ages evenly. But yeah, yeah. So we're we're only making about four barrels a day, and when I was at Buffalo Trace, we was making eight hundred <laughs> barrels a day. Sure, so and I think they're even barrels. well, but I think they're up to like a thousand or so a day. Because yeah. since you left, I think they've added two more stills, two more continuous, 
huge gallon yeah. stills or whatever. I, I don't remember what their numbers are, but it's they crazy. They added new cookers and new fermenters and everything. Yeah. And I think they're, they might be doing over a thousand dollars. I, I think you're right too. They said they're going to have a, over a million barrels stored here soon. If they haven't already done yeah. that at any one time. That's yeah. silly. And when I left, they were starting to build those 58,000 barrel warehouses. And basically they'd fill up one of those in three months. Jeez. Oh, so w- with you guys, have you, you know, maybe you haven't tapped into them yet. Have you noticed a difference between the Rick house and the storage container as far as storage goes? Uh, or so we like the storage containers a little better um, just because we get a little more heat into them. Okay. So they age a little quicker. Um, so most of your heat is, or age is determined by your overall heat that goes into it. Is that so, because of the expansion the barrel, into the barrels? Is that the, is yeah. that the thinking? Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, oxidizations that happen inside the barrels, and those are all heat-driven. So the warmer we can keep it, the better age we're going to have over that same time period. So it'll taste a little older than what it would sure, um, based off of it being in a colder climate. Yeah, some of those Texas craft distilleries see the same thing. They'll, those yeah. extreme Texas summers, you'll have a two-year bourbon that tastes like a five- or six-year mm. bourbon. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. What what? It, so what, speaking of the aging, what is it like there? You know, the climate and the, you know, the range. You know, because you get winters there, right? So you you guys get snow. You get uh, nice warm summers. Like I don't know what it's like there, but I know it was 90 degrees yesterday here. So I'm assuming you're yeah. probably seeing that today. It was it was 94 yesterday, and it was like 90 today. So we get we get roughly about the same um, swings and temperatures as what you would in Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so that helps us out a little bit to where we're right off the coast. So we get that coastal wind that keeps us a little warmer than if you were more up towards Buffalo or Rochester, where you're getting that lake effect snow and getting the crazy low temperatures. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys, would you say that you age similarly then to Kentucky or, or how do you? Yeah. With us being in those shipping containers and everything, we, we get close to the same age as what we used to see in Kentucky. Um, the only thing that we would benefit from like at Buffalo trace, we get kept our warehouses steam heated in the winter time. Yeah. So they'd stay above 40 degrees. Right. So, so that's where the only part the that aging. we lose out on. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of pauses the aging during that time, right? From what I understand when it, when it yeah. drops below that 40 degree mark. Yeah. So, what uh if you had to gauge like do you guys ever measure the temperature in those warehouses or in the sh- in the shipping container specifically where it gets a little warmer like how warm it gets uh so it's the temperature usually isn't too much above the outside temperature it's just it will knock you out with the vapors because yeah. it's so airtight um uh, so when like we take people down in the shipping containers like and once you open the doors if you make it more than two feet in, <laughs> so that's probably like opening an, up a hot oven. I would assume, like, uh, and it's smacking you in the face with that heat. That's <laughs> I, that's one of my favorite things, though. When you go into a Rick House on a tour, is that smell? Like, I know it's probably not the same concentration as what you're opening up from a shipping container, but I love that smell. That's just a like one of my favorite things about the tour. It's better than the tasting, in my opinion. Yeah. So question for you, Brandon. Um, how do you guys get your 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 Rick House federally um, certified to be a, a bonded warehouse? Um, and could you technically, could 
these four years be bonded you know if you if you wanted to you know do a bottle and bond with them yeah so all of our warehouses have to be a bond warehouse gotcha um shipping containers basically all we have to do is be able to prove that it's lockable and then show a picture of the lock and then once we do that we send it off to our um, ptb attorney and then he files all that with the ptb as a bonded warehouse so we'll we've been talking about doing a bonded product um in the near future so we'll have some four-year hundred proof stuff coming out hopefully that's that's what i was hoping yeah you guys would I love it. so he's he's now getting into this whole bottled and bond thing now that he knows what it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it. We did a uh, just last it just published today actually, but we did a uh, uh, flight of the whiskey row series for Old Forester. So we did all four of the uh, of the the bourbons there, and uh, one of them is their bottled and bond. So we talked about bottled and bond for him, and he. Uh, I could just see the light bulb going off in his head and getting excited about it. <laughs> and, and 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 one of my things, Brandon, my uh, my shtick is to just be here to drink. Yeah, um, like I I I love it. Um, dude, definitely likes the the business, legal and and detail side of it. Um, not that I don't find it fascinating, because I really do. But he'll dive into it a little bit more than I will. Um, yeah, just but, as an example, we got a, a retweet or a, a no a response from Fred Minnick on one of our posts, and he's like, "Who's Fred Minnick?" <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of make fun of him about yeah. that. He just he doesn't prepare, he doesn't listen to podcasts. He just comes. And, I have yet to listen to one of our podcasts, which is funny because his wife listens. Yeah, my my wife will listen to him, and but. we've had we've had some conversations about uh, you know their marital. Uh, uh, situations and she'll she'll text me saying oh my gosh that was hilarious you guys should do that more often and and he doesn't even listen to yeah. he's always like oh this is off the record off the record I'm yeah like, yeah sure it is sure, sure it is, is. <laughs> and i always yeah. just say i'm here to drink yeah we don't take ourselves too seriously but we do i mean i will say that we do really enjoy the bourbon and we enjoy the history and the process and and everything that goes along with it i, th- I think that's i mean obviously outside of the product i i think you know the distilling product or process and, and the history is the coolest aspect of it. You know, that to me is unique to, to bourbon, you know? Well, and it's just like the, the stories you hear, like uh, I had just bought a bottle of uncle nearest recently and had no idea. We had, we had a couple guests on uh, a couple weeks ago. One of them is a, uh, a bar manager here in Columbus at the Great Southern. I don't know if you if it was there when you were here, but the Great Southern uh, Whiskey Bar mm-hmm. in downtown Columbus, and uh, and then another guy who was a blogger for for uh, restaurants, and uh, he was like, "Oh, you should buy Uncle Nearest. It's a you know black owned uh, distillery. It's based out of Kentucky." I didn't know the full story. I went and dove into the story, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that guy is the first black master distiller in the United States." at least recorded. And uh, he's the guy who trained Jack Daniels on distilling. Like he introduced the uh, Logan, what's it called? The Logan County process for Tennessee whiskey or whatever it's called. Lincoln County. Thank you. I I was thinking Logan Haynes from earlier. So Lincoln County process. Yeah. Thank you. Um, But yeah, he's the one who, who introduced that. I mean, they don't think he's the one who started it, but he brought it in. He was a a slave in, in uh, Tennessee and, and uh, trained basically Jack Daniels, and Jack Daniels was a an orphan who ended up buying 
the distillery from a reverend whose wife didn't want him to, <laughs> to uh, distill bourbon. <laughs> I mean, it's a or whiskey. I mean, it, it's a crazy story, but it's a it's a really amazing story and mm -hmm. it's a unique story like mike rowe even did a podcast about it and it's i mean that's the kind of stuff i love like i geek out about that stuff all day long so um i listen to bourbon podcasts i listen i read bourbon books i i drink bourbon obviously and so yeah I, it, it, this kind of stuff is the stuff that, that i totally love he likes the history too though yeah brendan i i kind of i'm interested in your time spent in in kentucky just in general with bourbon and its history um are there is there anything down there that you would suggest going to see do you know dude and i for my birthday we decided we're going to do this every single year um early december um we did a, a day and a half sprint <laughs> and i i think that what did we ended up with as far as stops Oh, for, I, I have it on my phone actually, but it's crazy. We went you know, so many places. We did a few tours. It was a few tours, it but it was just stopping to the next place. A couple well known liquor stores popping in, um, whether it was doing a tour, whether it was just to see the gift shop, like just you know, it it was a fun weekend of a sprint. But do you <laughs> living down there, being in the industry, is there any secrets or um, places they could be just you know bars stores that you would recommend i mean a lot a lot's changed since i've been down there so uh, I, was, I was gonna say even yeah. the whiskey bars in lexton and louisville have changed a lot um but i mean if i always recommend if you can get the hard hat tour for buffalo trace that's a great tour to do. Um, yeah, we, usually we have to sign up about three early. months ahead of time. We found that out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. We had to do the regular tour because of that. But that one will show you probably the most in-depth out of all the tours, out of all the distilleries that I have ever done. Um, some of the newer ones that are around might show a little more than that now just because they're set up a little more uh, tourist-friendly than some of the distilleries are there. Just knowing like some of the history of what uh, different people distilled there over the years and knowing that distillation started in the 1700s there on site and being in the presence of like E.H. Taylor was there started the Bottled and Bond Act. Uh, you had Albert Blanton there. You had uh, Elmer T there. Everybody, like, just knowing that you were working on some of the same equipment. Because when I ground. was there, yeah. the equipment we were using was from the 1920s for the most part, other than the still and some of the dry house equipment. So we were using the same equipment they were using back in the day. That's crazy. So, yeah, like, what I found interesting is, I and I didn't know this until this week, but uh, the colonel, uh, that's an, that's an actual Kentucky, that's not a military, but that's a Kentucky honorary, uh, appointment, kind of like, you know, a knighthood in, in England. Huh. But the Colonel is like, a people who have done good things for Kentucky, like Colonel Blanton, Colonel Taylor, like they're not like military colonels. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, that's just a, an honorary type of, uh, it's almost like an honorary degree for a university, but it's, it's specific to people who have done good things for the state of Kentucky. I, I think that's really neat, but yeah, I wasn't aware of that until, uh, until I was listening to a, a podcast this week about that. I thought that was really cool. 
Brandon, I can't tell you how good this is. <laughs> yeah, it, I, it, I'm so I'm, glad I'm I got not two even models. saying that. Like, say. I can't tell you how good that is. Like honestly, in hindsight, so the the club that I go through, Bourbon Enthusiasts, the same the same time they did this, they did Four Roses Barrel Pick and they did uh, Smoke Wagon Barrel Pick. So you had two different barrel picks you could choose from. You could do one. I'm in a higher tier, so I could do all of them. Um, but I was limited to one of every one of them, except for yours. And in hindsight, I don't understand. Like this is by far and away the best of that of that group. And they were all outstanding. They were all outstanding. And I don't know what you're doing. This is like Tell amateur hour. Where where yeah. We're not as well known as those other two picks. So that's maybe the only thing I could think went of. after them. So. But, oh. I've, but I've heard of Taconic from a lot of different things. And so I just had never had it before. And it's probably because, like you said, it's not in Ohio yet. And, and so when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm going to grab it. And anytime they give me an option for two, because of their taste profile, I always grab two. I, I, mine seems to match up. Well, ours, we have a very similar. Yeah. Uh, you're much more of a, I think, a weeded bourbon guy. I sure. think you like weeded bourbon. But for the most part, we have a very similar taste profile. And, and mine aligns a lot with the bourbon enthusiast. So, like, I am so glad that I got two of these. And, I, I mean, honestly, just like I, I can't agree more with what you said because this is this is really good and it's now half empty just so you know yeah (laughs) i mean you can't go wrong putting a dog on the label too that's like so tell us the story about that what's the what's the story about the label is there anything special about that the the dog on the label is uh american foxhound it was actually named after paul dog uh copper copper imaged after him is he uh, now? Is that dog still alive? Years ago. Okay. Okay. Because so, I see it on the yeah, website, so, Copper the Foxhound. So I didn't know if. Uh, yeah. I didn't. Okay. So that's the story behind yeah. the. Uh, so that's that's Copper, or that's just a likeness of Copner. It's a Copper. likeness of Copper. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. so that's cool. So so what are the so um, you've got Paul and it's Coglin, not Coughlin. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Because I've seen that spelling pronounced both ways, so I wasn't real sure. Yeah. And then you've got Carol Ann. Is that his wife? Yeah, that's his wife. And then what is it? Grace Catherine and Christina Coughlin. Are those the daughters? Is that what those that's are? That's his daughters. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was, I was seeing that and then I, I saw a whole bunch of Coughlin names and then I, or Coughlin, sorry, names. And then, uh, I saw you on there. So I was, I was, I was like, it must be a family, uh, type business. So that's, I like yeah. that. So the farm, you know, the, the local grains, the local products, farmish, you know, type of uh, product and then family operated. I, I love that. That type of stuff is the stuff that I just want to. I yeah. want to, um, you know, provide support for, especially, sure. you know, when when people and places you see right now are just going out of business left and right. Those are the places you want to see succeed. So, that's uh, that's really cool. And and when the fall comes around, September, when you guys do some of your other releases, give yeah. give dude and I heads up. We'd we'd love to purchase some bottles see if you can't ship them i don't know if you're allowed to well but not uh to ohio but not, we can come not, up we'll not come up to, with our tents yeah not to ohio um yeah. and same thing with the the syrup too like well that's that would, the september and then the other one's november well so. you guys sell syrup all the time right well the, yeah, syrup. the syrup is all the time on our website it's gotcha. just the maple bourbon uh the maple bourbon we usually have um throughout the whole year we do a big enough release it's just we just changed the batch each year. Gotcha. gotcha. So we ran out actually of the maple bourbon two weeks ago. So okay. Oh, wow. Pretty much the month of August is the only time we're usually out of it. But that's when bourbon sells are usually lowest anyway. So it doesn't yeah. really 
hard us too bad. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, uh, I guess the one thing I wanted to make sure is you guys are Taconic Distillery. So your website is TaconicDistillery.com. Uh, where else can we find you on the web and, you know, social media? So our Instagram is at uh, Taconic underscore distillery. Okay. Uh, so we usually um, only post on Instagram. We have a Facebook page, but it's just pretty much repost of everything that's sure. from the Instagram page. Uh, we So we pay most attention to that. Um, we have a thing called Taconic Tuesdays that a few people have started uh, putting out there. Which we're doing right uh, now. This is yeah. Taconic Tuesday. Taconic Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm going yeah, to be posting so, the uh, picture of this with Taconic Tuesday on it. I got the bottle yeah. and the picture and everything. Sorry. There's a few of our um, uh, influencers that we work with that they uh, decided to start that out. And That's a good one. It seems like about every other week we kind of get a good uh, backing behind it. So every other week it's a little slower. But it's kind of nice to have our own little day, kind of like a Taylor Tuesday or yeah, no, or that's yep, Tuesday. Yep. So yeah, you got Weller Wednesdays, oh, yeah. Weeded Wednesdays. You've got Taconic Tuesday now. That's good. No, I like yeah. it. So that's that's been uh, pretty nice to see that, especially because it's only been about eight months now since that's been going on. So that was pretty cool to have that happen pretty quick since I've been there. Um, and we just try to keep growing as much as possible. Um, like you were saying, where you've seen a lot of family names on there, yeah. it's pretty much only three of us there on a daily basis. It's <laughs> all myself and my assistant. Yeah, nice. Um, so we're we're doing all the production. So it's it's not a big operating process that we're doing everything with. Well, that's all right. I mean, listen. I mean, small's good in a lot of cases. I mean, in stuff like this where you can, you know, really have a little more control over that stuff, and it's not a, just a huge, huge operation where. It's just a cog in the machine. Well, it's it's and, cool. And I think the more that people get frustrated with the bourbon scene in general, um, the more you'll tend to find that they want to support something that's, you know, a great product, but something that has like a, a family name behind it or, you know, a history or just something that, you know, just in, in general is a cool story. Um, so I think that you'll start to see that more and more and you know i i hope that's the case i i i as, as much as everyone and some of the bigger distillers have some good products i hope i hope this forces other small distillers to really grow and people to kind of branch out and say oh you know what can i spend my money on instead of dropping you know 200 dollars secondary price for a bottle of liquor so yeah, yeah. i mean and honestly the fact that what is it 2013 you said that that they got started at Taconic. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that honestly, that was like right at the, the perfect time, I feel like, to start up because I think between 2009 to 2015, you really started to see that boom again. And bourbon is, is booming every year, a little bit bigger than it was the year before. And everyone's talking about how, oh, it's going it, to, you know, that bubble's going to burst at some point. But we're just now to the same point we were you know, back in when it started losing its popularity back before vodka and fruity drinks and all that stuff started taking off. So, I mean, that the, the allocation issues and all those different things and everyone, you know, ramping up their, their uh, production right now for things that are going to be three and four years from now, the fact that it's not there yet is a perfect, you know, opportunity for those craft distilleries to make a name for themselves. And if they want to grow, yeah. you know, become something bigger than just a craft distillery, then they have that opportunity. But if they don't, then they can still stay in that, you know, nice craft distillery uh, position. And I think you guys are set up 
potentially. And, and I don't know what your production's like, but but you know and, you're in a good position and a good time. And and and, and we talk about this all the time. The the single barrel stuff, you know, is just off the charts right now. I I, I think yeah. you you see a lot of people the single barrel barrel picks like that is the the hot thing right now. Um, yeah, we always say it gives people a chance to impart their kind of uh, you know taste profile onto a, a popular brand already. But we 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 love the fact that you know within different brands we can sit there and say, hey, let's do a taste test of these four same you know brand or the four same products but they're they're all different barrel let's taste them and, and how unique they are from from one to the next um and it becomes even craftier within within that so that's cool it's yeah. good good word craftier I like craftier that. so uh i mean just to make sure that we get this in i for me you know we talk about whether it's past shelf or hunt this is a hunt for me. Absolutely. I, I mean, honestly, and I, and I, I, I don't say that often. He doesn't. I, I'm <laughs> I, a little more liberal with the word hunt because I like I, I really enjoy bourbon, and there's not a lot of bourbons I haven't liked, but this is one of my right now. This is probably one of my top fives. Yeah, and and that's saying a lot because you've seen my collection. You know what yeah. you know what I have. It's 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 honestly, uh, I'd say it's a top five. I can't really think of. Off like immediately right now, if someone had put a gun to my head, I couldn't think of five bourbons that I like yeah. more than this. And I mean, with it being as as balanced as it is, and as flavorful and complex as as it is, and I know those kind of contradict each other, but to me it makes sense. Um, and being 122 proof at the same time, I mean that's that's saying a lot to me. Um, so I'm, for me, that's that's a huge huge accomplishment. So you guys are doing something correct there so uh keep Thank doing y'all, it man. Yeah. <laughs> well and i mean if you, you you're probably a big part of that i would assume you're the the head distiller right so uh <laughs> yeah yeah trying trying to keep it up uh we just try to keep making better stuff every day good. Who, we even go ahead sorry i was gonna say we're even trying to push the boundaries a little bit like so where you guys were asking about different products that we're coming out with uh, I got like a weeded bourbon that will be coming out oh, in the next couple of years. Really? Uh, yeah, we're doing an American single malt. That I think that's going to push the boundaries a little bit, what everybody thinks of on those flavors. Ooh, nice. uh, and then we're starting to do some collaborations with uh, breweries where we're blending a stout recipe and a bourbon recipe together. So mm. you get a lot of like chocolate notes, um, everything in there with I'm it right smelling. off the bat. Buckhorn pro- but, yeah. uh, podcast on that one. We we do a collaboration with the Buckhorn podcast, and and they do that. They love that kind of stuff. So that's we might have to do something when that when that happens. Right. But weeded <laughs> bourbon that's that's a big thing. I mean, every everyone's trying to come out with something weeded right now. I'm a big weeded fan. I like weeded bourbon. Um, I, I like all bourbon. I'm not gonna lie, but but th- that will be as soon as that comes out. That's something I'd make a trip for. Do you, do you guys have anything specific that um, you guys will design as far as... Are these designed as a, a single barrel for you, no, or so is it just... Everything, everything we distill, um, the same process. So it's more just tasting it after when it's ready to be bottled. Uh, we'll designate some of those as single barrels sure. um, and send out those samples. So anybody that requests a single barrel, I'll pick a couple of samples. I think that are 
uh, some of our best profiles and send them out. Sure. But normally, what do you, you blend, I'm assuming, for the shelf stuff that, that normally is sitting yeah. in the stores? So, so we do kind of like a, a small blend in a tank. So we, we're always doing about five barrels at a time into that tank. We never let it go more than half empty. Yeah. So we're always trying to keep it consistent. So we want, when somebody buys something off the shelf, we want it, them to be able to go back and have pretty much that same, same experience. flavor profile. Yeah. And not be drastically different because that's the hardest part as a craft distiller is matching that profile continuously over yeah, sure. and over and over. Just because we don't have as many barrels to blend together like a big distillery would. Right. So do you have then, I mean, you're the master distiller or the head distiller or uh, I don't know what your official title is, I guess. Is it head distiller or is it master distiller? Or yeah, I, I like using head distiller just because I think uh, the master distiller takes more time. Um, and I definitely don't kind of like have a time in the industry some, type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so do you have then, um, I guess like a sensory panel, like, like, yeah, I was gonna ask or, that too. or is it just uh, kind of you? You're, you're looking at them. <laughs> All right. That's super, that's super cool though. <laughs> that, that's tough. That's tough. Now, <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you guys need a sensory panel, <laughs> yeah. we can be Ohio based yeah. <laughs> yeah. from across the country. <laughs> yep. You yeah. got it. I mean, it's gotta be, you know, that Midwestern uh, yeah. representation, right? That's, that's the yeah. neutral zone. But, uh, but that's cool that it ultimately, you know, it, it's on you and your, in your palate, you know, it's not on anyone else's. Um, the owner, how much control has he given you over the entire process? He he pretty much gives me free reign. So uh, he, he's retired. Every, remember? Like the first <laughs> couple months when I was there, I'd always ask him questions like, "Hey, what do you want me to run or anything?" And he's like, Figure "You know out. better than I do." He's like, "Have at it, have fun." <laughs> so that's, that's why he's allowed me to experiment a little bit with the weeded bourbons and the single malts. That's, that's got to make your job a little more fun too. Oh yeah. I would assume Yeah, having that a little bit of leeway and a little bit of, you know, that the, I would feel that that gives you a little bit of, uh, ownership's not the right word, but, but that feel of, uh, control. personal touch. Yeah. Personal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In every, in every, uh, batch I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Paul will always tell like anybody that comes in, they'll have a question. They like he'll just say, "I just write the checks." Ask Brandon. What <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I just write checks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And first off, I appreciate the comment on uh, Instagram. That's what kind of got the ball rolling. And I hadn't yes, really done this before, just kind of reached out to someone. As soon as you responded, I read your your response. And I was like, I think this guy must actually be someone important at uh, Takana because <laughs> like your your name was something alchemist or something. But uh, yeah. and speaking of which, what is your what is your Instagram handle? You talked about Takana, but what's your Instagram handle? The Alchemist eighty six. Okay, and and what's I have to ask? I always do this on everyone. What's the what's eighty six? Uh, it's the year I was born. Holy shit! God, I'm old. <laughs> I am old. I'm not. When, when were you? What was your year? Ninety. He's young. Slapped right. You're slapped right in between us. <laughs> no, not right in between. He's closer to you than he is uh, me. I'm se- I'm seventy five. He's 
Jeez, you're old. I know I'm old. Jeez, you're right. old. I act like I'm younger than you. Though, yeah, so yeah that's, that's a goddamn truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure where they found you. Oh, that's what it was. Is You responded on uh, Instagram and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out and see what happens. And uh, since your response, I've gotten more bold with other people and I've gotten a whole bunch of stuff where we've got some stuff kind of lined up, which it's exciting sure. and and we yeah. were actually using um you know the the first 20 or so episodes to just kind of find our footing yeah and we're now on 31 so uh i think this one's 32 but um but yeah no thank you for coming on i really appreciate your time i know it's the end of the day for you and if it's anything like anyone else's days you you've got to be you know ready Spent, for ready yeah. for ready, ready, ready uh, for classes here so great so uh thanks. thanks for your time today really i appreciate and, it and i hope yeah. we uh we get another bottle of yours soon and and yeah. we're, we're back on with you for sure yeah yeah thank you all for having me on man it's been a great time all right well hey thank you and uh we're gonna sign off and just again just to remind everyone i'm dude pool i'm, I'm tyler schaefer and i'm brandon <laughs> all right. i know it's your first time on but <laughs> thanks a lot thanks brandon yeah. have a good thank one. you all, appreciate it Bye. Thank you for joining in for another episode of The Bourbon Hunters. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review at any of the sites where you're listening to the podcast. Also, find us on Instagram and Facebook. 